All right, what's up, guys? Thank you for watching another episode of the Life Like a Movie podcast. This uh, this podcast is all about writing your own story and to eliminate suffering, number one, and number two, to squeeze the juice out of life. And so today we have a very special guest because she can help us all understand a little bit more about doing number one, which is eliminate us, uh, eliminate suffering. And so today we're going to talk a lot about anxiety and depression. And uh, Paige is uh, educational background in psychology and I believe a little bit more into the holistic sense of healing. So I'm very interested to hear more, more about that. Paige, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yes, no problem. So I'll get right into it. Could you give a little bit of an introduction to your educational background? Sure. So I actually did my Bachelor of Arts degree in clinical psychology, and then I did my Master's of Science degree in counseling psychology, both at the University of Calgary. And then I went on to work as a registered psychologist. So I've been a registered psychologist for over the last 10 years now, since 2009. Um, and throughout that time, I've worked in a bunch of different settings. I've worked in college environment, I've worked in business environment, and I've worked in an outpatient addiction and mental health environment. Mm. And that's currently where I work in addition to private practice. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, you got a plethora of experience for us all here. And, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself, that may be listening, um, have nowhere near the educational background as you do in psychology. And I think it's great that you've jumped around a little bit as far as your career choice. How do you think that's affected your understanding of psychology? I think it's been great. And even yeah. when I meet with new practitioners to the field I do encourage them start broad and then work mm. towards a specialization um, I think that if I would have gone right into a specialty I would have lost a lot of that perspective that really oh, okay my future work so that's what I encourage people to do sometimes people have a sense that they want to go off and specialize in something right away yes um, I encourage them go somewhere broad go to a counseling center do something that's quite general okay um, just so they get exposure to a whole bunch of different issues and a variety of different ways to practice so that you can be certain that's the specialization that you want to go in the direction of okay I think that's yeah. wonderful advice thank you for that all right, I'm going to move on to the, the questions that I'm really, really curious about here. I got my phone out. I'm, re I'm ready to take notes. I hope sure. everybody listening does as well. Um, so to start super, super basic, why do people uh, generally get anxious and depressed? Yeah, I think there's a few different main contributors to that. Um, a big one that I believe is true is evolution. So mm. how our brains have evolved um, just doesn't quite match modern day society. And I think that the symptoms that we get the most out of that mismatch is depression and anxiety. So mm. with depression often comes a sense of hopelessness and purposeless and meaninglessness, um, which from an evolutionary perspective, I mean, even a couple of hundred years ago, our basic needs weren't very easily taken care of. So getting up in the morning, we immediately had a sense of purpose, of aim, of drive. Of mm. um, whereas now, a lot of those basic needs, yeah, not all of us have them taken care of every day, um, but generally they come a lot easier. We don't have to put in as much effort to food, to shelter, to the basics. Mm. Um, so that leaves a lot of time. And I believe that leaves our brains at a vulnerable place to not knowing what to do with that time. Um, with anxiety, anxiety comes with a sense of 
fear, anticipation. Um, and again, evolutionarily, anxiety has a really important purpose. Its purpose is to keep us safe. So to make sure that if there's a threat, that we're prepared and we're ready to act. Mm. In today's modern day society, I don't know about you, I have never been chased by a bear or something <laughs> out to get me. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's happening to you, I don't know. <laughs> different lives, but right now our lives are quite different than they were, again, 100 to 200 plus years ago. Um, so our society has changed at a rate that's so quickly that I don't believe our brains physiologically have had a chance to catch up. So that leads yes. to a lot of the common mental health symptoms that we see today, um, depression, anxiety being the main two. So that would be a main component. Um, another component is genetics. So because mm. of this evolution in the past, all of these symptoms had a strong evolutionary purpose. They kept us safe, they kept us productive, they kept us motivated. So our ancestors who were more and most likely to survive probably had a strong tendency for some of what we now call symptoms. Um, but a few hundred years ago, those were really helpful drivers nowadays. So genetically, there's been this lineage of survival. And now we have a bunch of people who are super intelligent, super primed to live and fight and act and react without any of that to react to. I um, see. So okay. Left in kind of this gap. Um, where we're trying to react to some of these threats and some of these needs that we actually don't really have anymore. Mm, that is so interesting. So um, I love what you said about throughout evolution, we commonly woke up with a purpose when our basic needs weren't met. Um, I th I, I've, ne I've never heard that before. The anxiety one, it's, you know, yeah, I'm not getting chased by a saber-toothed tiger. When you, when you when you look at evolution like that, I I understand that. And I was actually I was listening to a podcast the other day that, um, as as time goes on, there's a less and less uh, likely chance that we're going to die. I mean, I think it's like twenty percent chance that that um one, that we will encounter a um, a near death experience. Whereas you know ten thousand years ago, that was like maybe three times, five times in your life kind of thing. So yes, that's that's very that's very interesting. Um, now genetics. This is something that. I would love to learn more about. So here, here's a statistic that I read in a, in a few different studies is that 50% 50, 50 of our happiness is based on genetics, 10% is from our, our upbringing, and then 40% is in our control. Does that ring true to you or can you comment on that at all? Yeah, I think anywhere that you look, the stats are a little bit different um, because I've gone on to specialize more in addiction psychology over the last eight years. Um, that is a little bit more of the world I'm familiar with statistics like that. Mm. Um, and in that world, the stat is actually that up to 70% of the contributor to addiction is genetics. So no kidding. What? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of put in that range. Like I've seen 50 to 70%. So I would think it's quite similar for depression wow. and anxiety. Um, I'm not a geneticist. So those people out there who know more about this than I do, please don't take offense. I don't know exactly. <laughs> 
Um, but those are the ranges that I've heard. And honestly, I do think that's somewhat realistic. Um, so yes, there is a portion that's, of course, within our locus of control. Um, but there is a lot for depression, anxiety, mental health addiction um, that does come from our genetics. So that's not something Very that we can do anything about. But I do believe, and I see it every day, that we can learn to work with it, right? We can learn work to with work it. with the issues. Um, and we can work to Towards being preventative so that's where the holistic piece comes in ah, okay if we kind of live our lives differently including in our young lives and I think that's often where things kind of can fall apart um, is that young people we don't know what we're genetically vulnerable to half the time we don't even really care we're just living our lives mm -hmm. we're just starting to get our lives going um, but that's actually a really critical place that if we can live differently during that time so kind of childhood teens early, I gotcha but um, it could make a big difference in terms of do those genes get activated? Because that's the other thing about genetics, right? Just because we have a predisposition towards something doesn't mean that it's a guarantee that we're going to yes. exhibit it. So, so that's where environment comes into play. So kind of like you can't change the genes, but you can change how the genes uh, react. Yeah, to a certain extent. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Sorry, I was just going to say, even once they've activated, um, there is also the idea of epigenetics, right? That we mm. do have the ability through lifestyle, behavior, what we're doing, um, to have some degree of influence over that. Um, obviously, the impact that it's going to have will probably be different um, than the impact it would have before those genetic predispositions were activated. Understood. Okay. Um Truth be told, I'm a little bit of a an optimist when it comes uh, to humans, and I think that I could use a little dose of realism. <laughs> but I, th I honestly, I think I could use a dose of realism because uh, when you said when you said seventy percent is up to genetics, mm -hmm. for me, I thought you were going to go the other direction. Seventy percent was up to us because yeah. that's that's how optimistic I am. But then obviously, yeah. you you know a whole lot more than I do, so that's just more of a realistic approach. Yeah, um, yeah that's very interesting to me because I think for me, maybe I was just blessed genetically it seems so easy for me to be happy now uh even though like it, it wasn't always for me i I've, I've had very very low points in my life like with uh with addiction compulsion things like that yeah. but um so i'd like to make it a little bit more simple for everybody listening so when you say that it's that it's uh we're genetically predisposed but we do have some sort of control over it would that mean like yeah. person a would be genetically disposed to have any anywhere of a happiness level from like three to seven, and then person B would be anywhere between like three to ten. So like they could be, you know, is that is that kind of how it works? And then you can adjust from there. Sure. I mean, I haven't actually thought about it as much from the happiness perspective. Okay. Um, usually it's been, when I'm thinking of it anyways, it's more like what's our likelihood to manifest symptoms or challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so absolutely, we all have a different degree of genetic vulnerability, both on the strength side as well as on the challenge and symptom side. Um, so the long and the short of it, I think, is we're never going to entirely know just how at risk we are for the challenges, nor just how set up we are for the happiness side of things. 
things. Gotcha. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm also an optimist realist. Um, and the realistic part of me would say, all we can do is our best, right? To do the things that we've heard, that we've been recommended, um, that we know intuitively and in our heart of hearts does the best to set us up for health and for happiness. Understood. Uh, I have an interesting question I just thought of. Uh, what do you think of Eckhart, Eckhart, a quote by Eckhart Tolle? It was, um, happiness isn't always achievable, but no unhappiness is always achievable when we surrender to the present moment. Yeah, I think I quite like Eckhart Tolle's work. Um, I think that the more we can be connected to our experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, and learn to work with it and just accept it for what it is, the better off we'll be. Um, a common saying that I often go back to is whatever we focus on grows. So if oh, I love that. On, yeah. So if we focus on nothing but our pain, our suffering, our defeat, our hopelessness, our purpose, purposelessness, um, then guess what? We're going to feel pretty bad at the end of the day. No kidding. Um, whereas if we're focusing on those points of gratitude, those points of mindfulness, um, accepting that, okay, this may be a difficult moment, but I know it'll pass. I know that I can get through mm. um, then guess what? Those are the people who tend to come out of a day feeling more grounded, happier, um, and more in balance. So that's yes. also something I would add into that. I love that. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, which was when, um, when uh, Tony Robbins, uh, he's, he's somebody that, that I study probably the most, is when he, when, when he gets told, I have anxiety, I have depression, his response is, well, how do you do that? Not why do you have that, it's how do you do that? And to your point, if you focus on all the negatives, well, then the odds are that that's going to grow in your mind. And if, if you focus on the positives, it makes it a lot easier to not be depressed. And yeah. so um, for me, that was also part of my optimism when it comes to this conversation, which was I feel like there's, there's so much control. And I've practiced this in my own life where I've uh, – and I can even look back when I caught myself in some depressive states. I was focusing on how much – I did wrong, even though I'm even on a day where I make so much progress, I feel like we have a tendency to focus on one little negative, even if we do so many good things. So what do you think about the statement of, uh, of uh, how, how do you do that? How are you depressed? Not why? Yeah, yeah, I just generally, it's probably been beaten out of me from my <laughs> in psychology. Yeah. Um, don't ask why questions. So they're a rabbit hole. Uh... Why? They are, aren't they? Okay. Yeah, because there's always so many complicating factors that the more we focus on the why, usually the more confused we are. So <laughs> I always personally practice asking how questions, and I always encourage people in their own conversations and relationships to also focus on how questions. Oh, I love that. Um, so I think any kind of how question is going to be way more informative and way more illustrative um, than any why question that we can ever mm -hmm. ask ourselves or others. So definitely I would encourage that. Um, the other thing that I would say at this point in the conversation is to appreciate, even if you do struggle with symptoms or feelings of depression, anxiety, or other things that are painful, um, just to remember that those are part of your experience. They're not you. So just oh, like someone with diabetes or cancer, um, they don't walk around saying, I am diabetes. 
I am cancer. Um, they talk about their symptoms. So I have diabetes, I have cancer, this is the condition that I have, and this is what I'm doing to navigate it and to cope with it. And I hope that we can move towards that direction with mental health as well as addiction issues, because so often people tend to take those on as part of their personhood and part of their personality. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many people get stuck in that mentality, but that really contributes to that suffering and really detracts from happiness. Yes, no kidding. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a great quote by, I believe it was Buddha, it was, uh, desire is the pre-contract to suffering. That's right. Something like that, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, there's so many things I want to add on to that, but I'll just have to go to my next question. Sure. I, I think I can ask you questions forever. Um, so this was a question that I came up with when you were talking about evolution earlier in our discussion. So is would evolution be um, part of the reason why you went into the more holistic approach back? Back, I feel like in, in evolution. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was um, it was very holistic. It was it was acting on information without knowing why. For example, we can accept the heat of the sun. We don't necessarily need to understand how it works. And I feel like before we had all the science and the research and the technology, before we could understand more of these things, there was a very holistic approach and just by feel, by experience without actually having to test it. Is that kind of why you got into the holistic approach? It's a great question. I wish that my career was more thought out and more planned, <laughs> but it has not been a no. <laughs> purposeful thing. So no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of worked out really nicely. Um, oh, that's awesome. That I, I feel like there's just so much more to people than their challenges and their symptoms, um, and so that's what started this incorporation of let's look at all parts of self not just the symptoms. Um, and that was also part of the transition. I used to work in short-term acute mental health care, and it was horrible. I felt like I was just putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound at every session I was having with people. Because um, so often when people present for counseling, these have been some long-term challenges for them. And so to think that we're going to make major progress in three sessions or six sessions or whatever it was, um, was really just, like I said, putting a Band-Aid over a gaping wound. So that was part of what informed that shift and also just circumstance. So just over time, my career path, it evolved in a certain direction, some of it by choice, some of it just kind of randomly and happenstance. Mm. Um, and so all of that is what's informed my perspective. And I think that's important to say, because probably a lot of listeners out there think that they have to figure out their path and figure out where they're going to go and how they're going to get there. And I would say to all of you that there's a beauty in just doing the next apparently best thing for you. Mm. Just take that next step and see where it goes. You'll get information as you go, regardless of whether you stay there or whether you move on. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that perspective so much because I think there is a lot of pressure. I'm I'm 20 years old. And so especially for people my age, there is ungodly amounts of pressure from family, mostly yeah. uh, to, to figure it out. I mean, Sure. Yeah, I, I hear it from family all the time. Um, if it's okay, I mean, D Deepak Chopra, he, one of my favorite quotes, he talks about living in the wisdom of uncertainty. And I think there's a lot of beauty to that. Um, and yeah. and well, also, life, right? yeah, 
Oh, that's, that's like a... everything's uncertain. So there's very little that we actually know. Um, and that's that <laughs> humbling perspective that, as you brought up before, we'd like to think that 70% or 40% mm -hmm. of our lives are in our control. Um, when we really get honest, is that an accurate stat? Probably not. Ah, dang it. <laughs> probably be pretty shocked at how small that number is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's great. I, yeah, we could all use a dose of realism, especially me. Um, okay, so on to my next question. How can we get to know ourselves better so that we can motivate ourselves more effectively? That's a so, great question. So it's almost kind of a two-part question in some ways. Yes, yes. Um, so how do we get to know ourselves better? Yes. The main thing that I work with my clients around is to treat your relationship like yourself, like you would a relationship with an external person. And what's the first and the main way that we get to know somebody else? We spend time with them. Uh, so we need to spend time with ourselves. And I don't mean spend time with yourself, watching Netflix or mm -hmm, going to mm -hmm. the gym um, or going to school or going to work or being busy. Um, that's time existing, but that's really not time with ourselves. So time with ourselves means we go within. So we ask ourselves questions, we do activities, and then we ask ourselves, what was that like for me? Did I like that? Did I enjoy that? Um, what part worked? What part didn't? Same thing when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're engaged in things, even when we're listening to a podcast. What did I like about that? What resonated for me? What mm. stood out for me? That's how we get to learn about ourselves. And I find that a lot of people, especially when there's mental health issues in the way, that relationship with self gets blocked. So mm. that relationship with self is limited. And that actually is a main contributor to a lack of motivation because people just don't know where to go or what to do or where to start yeah. because they don't have that relationship with self. So it's breaking it down to manageable chunks. So looking at, you know, smart goal setting, it's a business concept that you may have heard of. Um, so looking at goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, time specific, relevant, etc. Um, so making sure that we go step by step in our pursuit. Mm. The other thing about motivation that I'll say is a decrease in motivation is one of the main symptoms of depression, as well as with addiction issues, um, okay. not as much with anxiety, but the fear and the panic that can come with anxiety can definitely impact the ability to act and engage in life. So also even just the recognition that my motivation is less because of these symptoms and because of this condition that I have can just help put people in a better perspective to work with it realistically rather than waiting until mm. this magic lightning bolt of motivation. Of course. Um, yes. <laughs> to do everything that they're hoping to do um, that realistically all of us whether we're struggling intensely or not we have to go step by step bit by bit so yes. pick somewhere to start do something that's slightly out of the comfort zone but not totally unrealistic and okay. slowly build up action that way and also incorporate that relationship with self into that action I love that so much the 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 magic lightning bolt always seems like it's going to come tomorrow but it's never <laughs> action right now <laughs> it's always tomorrow that's funny um something actually i would like to mention quickly about self-awareness just for my own listeners um 
I get comments all the time about me being very disciplined and action oriented and motivated. And I would just uh, like to say that I don't think I actually am that much. Um, I've been doing these 30 day challenges and I did the 75 day challenge a few months ago. Um, it was it was challenging. But here's the thing. I would not have done that uh, had I not had the challenge. And for me, I was practicing self-awareness by understanding that my competitive nature to beat a challenge was the only reason that I could actually be disciplined and do that hard work. Mm-hmm. So just just for people that have said that, um, like I'm no better or worse than anybody, just kind of figured out how, what makes me tick and then use that to my advantage. So I think self-awareness is super important. Yeah. I want to make sure I added that in. So you didn't get the magic lightning bolt that <laughs> no. created all of this awesome action that you were taking? No. No, no. It was a lot of trial and error, believe it or not. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is a great question. Okay. So if someone with anxiety or depression, or let's just say an, an addiction, I'll add that in there for this last question as well. If they could do one thing today, even a small thing, probably a small thing, to help aid their healing process, what would that be? The next best thing. So next, ooh, what, that, that. Yeah, Sorry, so what that means will be personal to each individual. So the next best thing, basically when I say that, means what's the next step of action that you're able and that you're willing to take? So for some people, their next best thing, their next best step of action is to get up out of bed before 2 p.m. That's their step of action. That's awesome. If that's your goal that you've identified and you're able to accomplish that. For some people, the next best thing and the next step of action may be to apply for school and actually sit down and start writing out their application. Um, For other people, the next step may be to eat breakfast um, or to drink an extra glass of water that day or to go for a walk around the block um, or to start researching gyms that they want to join. So there's a whole range out there. That's why I could never say, go out and do this. Yes, yes. I love that answer. Um, Some people may already be doing those steps. Some people may be really far away from doing those steps. So the next step of action is always going to be a very personal thing. And it may even vary day by day. So people with mental health addiction, and we can also put chronic pain into the mix here, um, that all of these conditions are quite variable. So every day is going to look and feel quite different than the day before and the next day. So we almost have to revisit our goals kind of day by day and work to meet ourselves where we're at. So maybe on Tuesday of last week, um, it was possible to get out and actually go to the gym and do an hour long workout. Maybe on Wednesday of last week, um, the goal became, I'm gonna try and get out of bed before 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Like every day may be a little bit different. Mm. Um, And I really do find that's the main thing that keeps people stuck and that keeps people unmotivated and really frustrated is they expect, well, they expect the world of themselves on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, for one thing. Um, But they're also comparing themselves to others and to their past selves 
or these ideal selves rather than meeting ourselves where we're at. And I really do believe that if we could all learn to just meet ourselves where we're at and do that next step of action, um, that our mental health and our lives would look and feel a lot different. Oh, that is amazing. So such an amazing answer. I love that. Uh, as you were writing that, before you mentioned comparison, I just wrote at this note that comparison is poison after <laughs> after I, yeah, that's that's so, so absolutely true. I've experienced this many times myself, like just everybody knows, like I'm guilty of like almost everything she's saying. Um, <laughs> and like, <laughs> we didn't talk before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's yeah, very, very difficult thing to get out of, I find, is that is that comparison and uh yeah. And it's also very, very beautiful that you said um, we're all doing the best that we can. That's why I, I really think that I'm no better or no worse than anybody. Like I'm doing the best that I can. And, and it'd be the same as like me comparing myself to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, doing like lifting the weights he lifts. That's just unrealistic. And it's going to make me feel crappy about myself. Yes. And so, something else that you have that other people may not have or haven't appreciated they have is some accountability. And mm. accountability is another important part of motivation, of goal setting, and of action is we do need something to be accountable to. Now, ultimately, yes, change is about self. So if we can be accountable to ourselves and just doing the best we can or seeing progress or seeing health or seeing strength build up, that's awesome. But it can be helpful to have some kind of external accountability as well. So this is the reason that support groups exist. Um, this mm -hmm. is the reason that therapy exists, professional relationships exist, personal relationships exist, um, that they give us that accountability. And someone in your situation, you've almost created maybe not intentionally, but you have that accountability with your audience and with your viewers, which is also going to help you to engage in those 30-day challenges. Um, probably if others had that external accountability, as well as maybe a different relationship with internal accountability, mm. I wonder if their motivation would change as well. That's a, Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I think social, for me, like social accountability is uh, almost like a necessity for myself. So, so does does internal and external motivation vary amongst people? Like, say, for example, for me, like I do, I really like my environment is everything to me, like literally everything because mm -hmm. put me in a bad environment and I might, you know, I might not make the best decisions. Probably not. But if I'm in an amazing environment, then I really excel. Yeah. But for somebody else, maybe they have more internal motivation than I do. So is it very, does it vary a lot amongst people? Well, I would say probably everyone's in a similar boat that our environment does make a big impact. Um, probably the main difference would be if people are in an unhealthy environment that's not helping them, but they have more internal strength and internal resilience, meaning they're not as weighed down or as impacted by symptoms like mental health or by addiction. Yes. Um, then what they would probably do is move away from those environments kind of as quickly as possible and in different ways. So they would have boundaries, they would shift away. Um, whereas when people aren't in a great headspace, they may be more likely to unfortunately get stuck or caught in that environment or even think that environment is healthy um, rather than appreciating it's not super healthy and that they need to move away. Okay. The environment does make a big impact for everybody, not just. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I assume I, I, I'm glad. 
all right. Well, that's all the questions I have for today. Just for uh, everybody listening, I want to um, re- synthesize my favorite point that you brought up. Um, I think this might be the biggest takeaway from the whole podcast, which is to um, go at your own pace and do what you're willing and able to do um, to get better. And it doesn't need to be the same every day. Like she said, it could be uh, waking up at 2 p.m. one or getting out of bed at 2 p.m. one day. It could be going to the gym, going to the gym for an hour the next day. Um, and just be self-aware and try to uh, you know love yourself a little bit. <laughs> Don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Paige, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this was this was absolutely amazing. I think you you really helped me out. I got a lot of notes here, and I hopefully helped everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun to do. Awesome. And thank you for all the listeners for, for listening to this and taking the time. You could be doing anything, but you decided to listen to this. And so hopefully it helped you out. Uh, thank you guys very much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>